So as I mentioned, I was in Denver last week for our denominational pastors gathering. It is one of my favorite weeks of the whole entire year. I really love the opportunity to worship without having to plan the service or think about what's going to happen next. I love getting to listen to other pastors live without having to hear them on a podcast. Um, And I love getting to go to workshops and seminars where I can learn. But to be perfectly honest, the very best part of midwinter for me is the opportunity to catch up with good friends. Now, I think... I think it's pretty safe to assume that most of you, if not all of you, have never been to a gathering of a thousand pastors before. But in the ECC, it's a pretty unique event. No matter where midwinter is held, there is one thing that I wonder every single solitary year. What must the hotel staff think of us? Typically, when, you're, when you walk into a hotel, the lobby's pretty quiet, right? There's maybe a person or two who's checking in or out, and maybe a person or two who is sitting there waiting for a friend or waiting for a ride, but that's about it. Not at midwinter. During our pastor's gathering, you can be guaranteed that from sunrise to far beyond sunset, every last corner of the lobby is occupied by pastors chatting. Every single group of seats over every open space across the whole hotel is filled with old friends catching up. Every table is occupied with meetings or interviews or just colleagues swapping stories. When midwinter comes to town, we take over the hotel, and I always wonder, what does the staff think of what I'm sure appears to be some strange mix of a business thing and a thousand-person family reunion? I always hope that the hotel staff is treated well, that there is never any trouble, and I hope that there is a joyful spirit when we are around, but I can't help, this happens every year, I can't help but feel almost as if we are hiding something from them. Now, we worship unapologetically in their big ballroom, and it's very clear from all of the different signage throughout the hotel that we are a church But I can't help but feel that the hotel is filled with employees who need something, and we have it, and we don't necessarily tell them what it is. Could you imagine that in other areas of your lives? Could you imagine if you had run into somebody during this horribly cold weather, and you stood there and you chatted about kids and work and life and whatever, and realized that they had no place to go to get warm and you just did nothing about it? I would hope that we would never do that, right? We do that on a systemic level, but that's a different sermon. What if you were in a store and you saw a lost child, an obviously lost child? Would you do nothing? Could you do nothing? Now, maybe it is not your responsibility to ensure that the person in the cold has a warm place for the rest of his or her entire life, but shouldn't you do something in that moment to help them get warm, at least for that moment. And you can't prevent that child from ever getting lost again, but wouldn't you at least want to help him find his parent in that moment? So jumping back to the hotel employees, here we have a staff of people, many of whom presumably don't know Jesus, and we have a thousand pastors staying at the hotel every day for a week. Is it our responsibility to see to it that in one week's time they all find a church and commit their lives to Christ and join a small group? Probably not. So the question is, 
Do we have a responsibility, any responsibility at all, according to scripture, to share what we can in the moments that we have? It requires that really awful E word that we are, we're terrified of in the church, right? Evangelism. We don't want to be weirdos. Just because we're pastors doesn't mean we have to talk about Jesus every single second of the day. But I will say, at least for myself, that sometimes my lack of urgency in sharing my faith is astounding. What about you? Do you ever feel a sense of urgency in sharing your faith? Do you feel it often? This morning we are starting a brand new five-week series based on on an initiative of the Evangelical Covenant Church called BLESS. Now, if you've been around Hillcrest a while, you know two things about acronyms. The ECC loves them. I can't stand them. (laughs) Nevertheless, BLESS is an acronym, and so we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about each one of the letters. So we believe that we have in Jesus, what we believe we have in Jesus, what we know about Jesus, what we've encountered in Jesus was never meant to be kept as a secret, right? So how are we doing in our own lives at sharing that? Bless, in case you didn't pick up on it, is an intentional evangelism initiative. And I know that word makes so many of you cringe. But here's the deal. As I was preparing for this sermon, I realized that I usually preface my sermons on evangelism with either an apology or some kind of disclaimer begging you to hang in there and promising you that I'm not going to be all street corner preacher crazy on you, right? But I don't want to do that. I don't want to apologize for sermons on evangelism. And I don't think that we need disclaimers to help ease our comfort when it comes to evangelism. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And my heart is that we as individuals and as a church that we would proclaim that boldly and unapologetically. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because I believe that it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We spend too much time allowing our own awkwardness to be an excuse. We've used the I'm not really gifted that way line as an excuse. We've said that televangelists have ruined it for the rest of us or that I don't want to be that weird Bible-thumping strange person or that I don't know the Bible well enough. The excuses are endless, but the fact of the matter is evangelism isn't just a call for those who happen to be naturally gifted at it. Evangelism means good news. So if you know the good news of Jesus Christ, then evangelism is for you. Do you ever stop and ask yourself why we so often act as if we are ashamed of the faith that has transformed us? Am I really that concerned with being weird that I am ashamed of the love of Christ which has completely transformed my life? Clearly I must be. Because, man, do we ever run from evangelism as fast as we can. We've done a sermon here and a sermon there on evangelism. But my hope 
My hope is that as we go through this five-week series together, that we would stop hiding from this scary little E-word, that we would understand it a little bit better and that we would incorporate it into our lives a little more, that we would live unashamed of the gospel and unashamed of the God who has saved us. I chose this particular initiative because it helps us understand that sharing our faith is about sharing our lives. And I don't mean the kind of phony sharing our lives that we do over Facebook and Twitter, but genuine sharing of our lives that God intended for us. Bless will hopefully also help us understand that evangelism isn't just for some, but for all who have said yes to Jesus. How do we know that to be true? We know that because of the passage that Lois just read for us a few minutes ago. This passage from the book of John is the longest prayer, excuse me, (coughs) excuse me, it is the longest prayer that we see Jesus pray in the Bible. And this prayer comes in the very final hours of Jesus' life. Among the other things that Jesus conveys in this prayer, there is something here that he really wants his disciples to understand and that he really wants us to understand. In verse 13, Jesus says, I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, meaning the disciples and also us, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I say these things while I am still in the world that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. That's what Jesus says. So I have a colleague named Peter Hong who leads a covenant church down in Chicago. And he says about this passage that what Jesus wants What Jesus really wants in this passage can get a little lost in translation. Literally, the Greek says, so that the Greek word, pleroma of my joy, that they can have the pleroma of my joy. What Jesus wants for his disciples because of this Greek word is the fullness. It's translated fullness of my joy. The difference between the pleroma of joy and any old regular joy is the difference between a cup of water and a well. Jesus prays that his disciples, including you and me, would experience the pleroma of his joy. So how do we do that? How do we understand and come to know the fullness of God's joy, or Christ's joy, that is like a well, an unending supply of something that we need? The answer might surprise you. In order to give us fullness of joy, Jesus sends us out in mission. He says so in verse 18. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What we're being told in this passage is simple, but it is powerful. Jesus is saying, I am filled with joy because I am a man on a mission. And I want you to have the same fullness of joy, so I am going to send you out in mission. So in this passage, Jesus is helping us to understand that there is a direct link between joy and mission. So what does it mean to be on mission? Hong says that you're on mission when, you're, when your comfort, your convenience, and your security come second to a larger cause. You're on mission when someone or something is more important than your happiness and your needs. You're on mission when you live for a cause more important than yourself, when you're willing to sacrifice everything, your comfort, 
your convenience, even your security to make a difference in this world. When you do that, doesn't something come alive in you? We are most alive when we are living for something greater than ourselves. Think about how inspired we are when we watch the videos of the mission partners from Feed My Starving Children. Right? We watch those a couple times every year. We see some of the mission partners, particularly down in Haiti, and the work that they are doing. Why are we so inspired by that? We're so inspired by them because they have given everything to a mission that is bigger than themselves, and they have sacrificed everything in order to do so. It's incredible. We don't have to go halfway around the world to do that, although some of you will be called to. What is the mission that God is calling you to? What is the mission that God is calling this church to? Where might we be called to sacrifice our comfort, our convenience, or our preferences that we might make a difference in the world in Jesus' name? And we know that the mission to which God has called us is not always an easy one. He has called us to broken and hurting people and places. He has called us outside of what is convenient to a world that desperately, desperately needs hope. And Jesus tells us in our passage here that it is only in sharing joy with other people that our joy is made complete or full. Kingdom life is just an upside-down world from non-kingdom life, isn't it? We were all created for mission. When we share God's joy with others, we get to experience the joy for which we were created. The other thing that Hong said about mission that I love is that we were saved for mission. When we think about what happened to us the first time we said yes to Jesus, or for those of you who are not at that point yet, what happens when we first say yes to Jesus is that we are saved from something. We are saved from sin. We are saved from ourselves. We are saved from death. But this passage reminds us that we were not just saved from something, but for something. So growing up in my house, I've told you this before, we were not allowed to talk about religion and politics. Did any of you grow up in a house like that? Just me. It was just me? Terry, too. Three of us. Okay, good on you guys. That's great. We were not allowed to talk about any of that stuff in my house at all. So when I did come to faith as a high school student, I thought that faith was a private matter because that is what I was told. That was certainly the rule in my house, but it's not. Faith is not a private matter. Faith is not just a me and God thing. Faith in Christ is a radical call into a radical new community, into a radically new way of looking at the world, and into a radically different way of doing life. And then this same faith sends us radically out to share the good news with the world. Sending is a part of God's very being, his very nature. We see that all over scripture, God sending people on his behalf. And the thing that we have to keep in mind is that we aren't simply sent out to do God's work in the world, having to guess what it is and where it is happening. We are called to join God in the work that he is already doing in the world. 
In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, for we are what he has made us. We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God is already at work in the world. And despite ourselves, despite our fears, our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our anxiety, we are called by God's grace to join his work in this world, all of us. No one is excluded from that. Not only is no one excluded from that, it's not really optional. And this is the tough stuff about evangelism that we don't really like to talk about, but mission is at the very heart of what it means to follow Christ. Some of us will literally be called to the ends of the earth to make disciples. But most of us are called to start exactly where we are, with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and gulp even our own families. We laid the foundation for this series a while ago when we talked about neighboring. Do you remember that last year when we talked about neighboring? We laid the foundation with that series, but there is more work for us to do. And that is why we are going through the BLESS series. So for those of you who are really into acronyms, here's what it stands for. Begin with prayer. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve with love. Share your story. So those are going to be our topics for the next handful of weeks. And so we begin in the only place where we should begin anything and everything, which is with prayer. And the type of prayer that we are talking about here is twofold. Now, obviously, I want to encourage each of us to have a thriving prayer life in all capacities. But in this particular series, in this blessed series, we're going to be talking about two specific kinds of prayers. One, asking God to show us where he is already at work in the world and asking him how we might be able to join him. God, where do you want me to join you in the work that you are already doing in my family? God, where do you want me to join you in the work that you are already doing in my neighborhood or in my workplace? What are you doing in the lives of people that you are already trying to draw to yourself? How do you want me to bless people in the places that you have sent me? And two, praying for those in your life who do not yet know Christ. Think about your sphere of influence. Who do you see on a daily basis? Who do you see on a weekly basis? Are there people in your own family who don't know Christ? Are you friends with some of your coworkers that you know don't know Jesus? Have you gotten to know the barista at your coffee shop? How about the person who does your hair? Is there a neighbor you've come to know who does not know Jesus? So first, and we're just diving right in here, we're not easing into this, so I hope you're ready to move. First, I want you to identify your sphere of influence and to think about the people in that sphere who don't know Christ. Then pray for the names and ask God to draw three to five people whom you will commit to praying for every single day. Hopefully when you came in, you were handed one of these. If you open that up, you'll find this, which is two different bookmarks. It gives you instructions of what I'm telling you right now. 
And so I want you to ask God how you can pray for each one of these people. If you know things that are going on in their lives, pray for those things. If they are hurting, pray for their pain. If they are celebrating, pray for their joy. The commitment that we are asking you to make during these next five weeks. Listen to this. The commitment that we are asking you to make for these next five weeks is to pray for one minute for each of the people that you have listed on these bookmarks. Okay? To pray for one minute. Some of you have much more seasoned prayer lives. Please don't stop at one minute. That's not a mandate. It's just a starting point. If you're in a place where you can pray for an hour for each one of those people, please do. Don't let us stop you from doing that. But for a lot of us, this is a new venture for us, and so we're just going to start by something that is very manageable. One minute per name per day for the next five weeks. You'll notice that your bookmark has two different, well, they're the same, but two of them, two, two bookmarks. Yeah, it's the, the last, the right side, if you open it up, the right side tears off into two bookmarks that look like this. It's all right. That's why we do life together. It's all good. So what I want you to do is to write the same names on both bookmarks. You're going to take one bookmark home with you, and you're going to hand one bookmark to me on your way out. If you're not ready and you need more time to pray over the names before you write them down, then bring the bookmark to me next week. That's okay. Or sometime during the week if you want to do that. One is for you to keep. One is for the church. We are committing as a staff to praying over these names for the next five weeks. We are committing as a church to praying over these names for the next five weeks. Now, some of you may remember that we did something similar to this not too long ago, last year. It's okay if you put the same names down. If God has put the same name on your heart, then keep writing that name down. One of the names on here, two of the names on here, I've been praying for for 20 years. I'm sure that there are people in this room who have been praying for the same name for longer than that. So if that is you, if that's you and you have been praying for the same name for decades, then I am going to encourage you this morning to recommit and to recommit with great expectation. If you have been praying for the same name for decades, let us pray with you with expectation that God is going to show up, that God is not done with that person, and that your prayers matter. If this whole thing is brand new to you, if this whole idea of praying for other people who don't know Jesus, if this is a whole brand new thing for you, then there's some extra help for you on the back of these bookmarks. If you flip that over, there are specific ways for you to pray for the people in your life. And so if you sit down to pray and you're like, I don't know how to do this, here's a great way to start. Pray for that person. There's a blank there. Pray for Sophie. She's just right here. She knows Jesus, but she's just right here, so I'm using her name. Pray for Sophie to become thirsty for God. So you can pray through these prayers if you need some extra help or some extra guidance. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus for yourself, then I encourage you to put your own name in these blanks. Lord, I pray that I would become thirsty for God. I pray that I would take genuine steps towards repentance. Pray these things for yourself and let us know that that's what you're praying for because we will pray with you. And here's the thing about evangelism that I want us to keep in mind. We are not the Savior. 
It is not our job to save, and we should never see ourselves as the ones who can save. We hear often this phrase that we are blessed to be a blessing, but we have to keep in mind that we are not the blessing that other people need. We are not the Savior, nor are we the good and right and better ones who sweep in to save the poor and the sad and the lost ones who are less than us. We simply know that we are sinners saved by grace, desiring the people in our lives to know that same grace as well. For some of you, the savior complex is not your issue with evangelism. The flip side of the savior complex is thinking that we are not capable of doing the work of evangelism. There's a fairly radical pastor by the name of Nadia Boltz Weber. This is what she said. Never once did Jesus scan the room for the best example of holy living and then send that person out to tell others about him. He always sent stumblers and sinners. I find that comforting, she says. I find that comforting too. And I hope you do too. Because scripture is filled with sinners and doubters. People who intentionally and unintentionally turned their backs on the Lord. People who betrayed God and other people. People who tried their best but came up short. People who couldn't speak well. People who couldn't lead well. And God used them all. God didn't line everybody up and then go down trying to pick the cream of the crop. He used everyday people in their everyday situations to make his name known in the world. And friends, that is still what God is doing today. And we are the ones that he is using. We live in a world that wants 15 minutes of fame but needs eternal life with Christ. And so let's begin now in praying that God would give this church a sense of urgency for the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. I don't want to waste any more time. And I don't want to apologize anymore. And I don't want to feel ashamed of the gospel because we know that it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. So who's with me? Who's ready to commit to praying over these names? One minute a name every day for the next five weeks. Who is ready to ask God where he is at work in the world and who is ready to join in? Maybe we'll be weirdos. Or maybe we'll see God at work transforming the lives of the people we least expect it. There's only one way to find out. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there's this trend going on right now of paying attention to the things that we're hoarding and getting rid of the things that we don't need. God, sometimes I feel like we hoard your love. We hoard your grace. Lord, you have called us to share that with other people. And it's so hard. It's so hard to do that in our own families because there's so much at risk. It's hard to do that in our places of business because we live in a culture that so clearly separates the two. 
It's hard to do that in our own neighborhoods because we don't want to be weird. We don't want to sever relationships. Lord, it's hard, and so we just don't do it. But God, as I feel like we were in the hotel, we, we just walk around this world with the greatest gift that we've ever been given with the, world, the news that the world desperately needs, and we don't share it. And so God, forgive me of my sin of not sharing who you are with the people in my life. Lord, today is a brand new day, and so I pray, God, that you would give me and that you would give this church and that you would give the individuals within it a sense of urgency to share your good news. That we would be people who live out the fullness of your joy in this world because we are men and women on a mission. God, every day would we think about, would we think carefully and closely about how we are acting and what we are saying and who we are influencing. Help us to know, Lord, that we are being watched, that people who don't know you are watching us. Help us to be intentional, Lord. God, that the people that we see on a daily basis or a weekly basis, Lord, that we would be intentional about sharing our faith with them that we would pray faithfully, that we would listen with great care, that we would eat together, that we would serve together, and that we would share our stories together, Lord. We've made something complicated out of something you meant to be simple and part of our daily lives. But Lord, you have called us to some difficult places and some difficult people, some broken and hurting places. And so God, would you open those doors for us and help us to know that there is no place that you have called us that you haven't already equipped us for what we're doing. And so help us, Lord, to live boldly. That we would be a people who would say that we are not ashamed of the gospel because we believe that it is the power of God at work bringing salvation to all who believe. May it begin today, and may it begin with us. In your holy name we pray.